Welcome to Open Plaza Talks, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode focuses on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. Today we bring you a conversation between Dr. Joao Chavez and Dr. Tony Lin about evangelicals in the U.S. and the prosperity gospel. For more information about today's episode, please visit us at htiopenplaza.org. Welcome everyone to Open Plaza. My name is Juan Chavez. I am Assistant Director for Programming at the Hispanic Theological Initiative. And I'm here with the Reverend Dr. Tony Lin, Vice President of Institutional Advancement and Research at New York Theological Seminary, who just published an immersive ethnography of Latinx immigrant churches in his new book. The book is entitled Prosperity Gospel Latinos and Their American Dream, published by UNC Press published during this pandemic season, just, just a few weeks ago. Tony, how are you? Good to have I'm you good, here. I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for, for, uh, for this invitation. It's a great, great pleasure to have you. So Tony, can we start just by introducing yourself a little bit? Can you talk a little bit about yourself? What's your personal journey? You have such a, a, a rich history, uh, your training, your professional career. What was that like? Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was born in Taiwan, and then my family immigrated to Buenos Aires, to Argentina, where I grew up. And then we moved to Boston, where I finished high school and went to college. I went to Boston University. And then I went to Princeton, Princeton Seminary, where I got my Master's of Divinity. I, I'm a Presbyterian uh, pastor. I'm ordained in a Presbyterian church. So I served the church there for uh, in New Jersey for a few years in, in New Brunswick, New Jersey. It was a Taiwanese American church. And uh, during my time uh, in the church, I, I, I wanted to understand uh, so- society, social change and culture more. And I didn't feel like, I, 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 I didn't have a grasp with that coming out of seminary. So I, through reading different books and meeting different people, I ended up at the University of Virginia where I got my PhD in sociology. And so my PhD is in sociology. I finished uh, 10 years ago now, 2010. And I stayed at the, at the University of Virginia for, for nine years. I, I stayed there working with uh, Dr. James Hunter he, and at the Institute for Advanced Studies and Culture where I ran research projects. I did my own research project. I oversee the, I oversaw the fellows program and, you know, work very closely with, uh, with Dr. Hunter. Right, and then right. now, so last year, you know, fast forward <laughs> to 2019, uh, the, the, given everything that was happening in our country with the uh, election and with uh, the, the moment, the, the sociopolitical moment that we were in, I, I I felt uh, called to be somewhere where uh, I would be more in the in the middle of things. And you know, I, having grown up in in Buenos Aires, I, I need a big city. Charlottesville was getting too small for me. So this this opportunity came up at New York Theological Seminary, and uh, yeah, I came to the to the second greatest city in the world. <laughs> the first one is Buenos Aires. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you landed in there kind of uh, how, how long have you been there for oh just october last october i, I started right. at, at the seminary last october there's a new president and so she was putting together her her new team and 
yeah, it's a it was a very unique opportunity and it's a small seminary. We serve majority um, African-American and Latino communities. And we have a doctor of ministry specializing in, in Latino ministries. So yeah, it, it's, um, it, it was a very unique, unique, you know, niche type of uh, boutique seminary. That's what I call it. We serve a very specific, we're urban ministry. We serve a very specific population for, uh, you know, in a, in a very targeted way. So yeah, this is where I am today. All right, Tony, thank, thank you very much. So to jump into your research, I guess that a, a kind of foundational question is what is prosperity gospel? Like that's that's the title of your of your of your new research, new book, Prosperity Gospel Latinos. What is that and why is it important to the United States and to Latin America? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there are many different versions of prosperity gospel, right? So it's it's hard to say that there's only one is, you know, more, more like prosperity gospels and there's a range in that just like you know i, I guess in all, all tradition all religious traditions right there's a there's a range and but at the core of it the way i i define it is prosperity gospel at the core of it is uh there there are two two core beliefs one is that um god the uh, prosperity gospel christians believe that god wants them to to have primarily you know well physical health and uh, and prosperity but but it's beyond that right it, it's evolved to be you know this the uh, happiness success right you know peace of mind uh but but they they believe that god wants them to have this right god wants them to have these things and two they believe that they can do something to get it Right, that they can and they have to do something to get it, and so it's it's at the very core of uh, of Western and specifically American Christian belief, right? If you think of the the traditional uh, American evangelicalism, right, the idea that you know God wants you to be saved, but you have to pray the sinner's prayer, right? It's the same logic, right? But it apply to material things. God wants you to be uh, you know prosperous. God wants you your business to succeed but you have to do X, Y, and Z. Some of those things include, include it, giving money, right? But that's not, that's not the primary thing that, uh, that, that they re it requires. It requires, you know, the, the time, talents, and treasures, right? So sure, they might require, there, there are churches, and I, you know, I was, I studied one of the churches where the pastor actually said, if you, if you bring, you know, invest, right? Plant a seed of $100, you're gonna get $10,000 at the end of the, the year. But but that's not the majority of the churches, and that's not that you know that 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 only happened once in my whole years of studying prosperity gospel churches. The majority of the time is you have to you have to invest of yourself. You have to spend time at church. You have to go evangelize. You have to you have to help other people, right? You have to take risk in studying in in studying businesses, and and this is important in in America because I I claim that it is an inherently American religion, right? It's a religious system that 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 is born out of uh, of America, because prosperity gospel is the gospel of the American dream, right? So rather than just salvation, you know, a lot of these churches they don't have uh, an altar call like the evangelical churches will will have. They will have uh, offering time, right, where people can invest and, and sow seeds. Salvation 
is part of the plan. Spiritual salvation is part of the plan, but not a, not a practice that's emphasized um, every week. And yeah, it is. It, it embodies all the the core characteristics that we think of, right? Individualism, materialism, uh, and even the the economic system, right? Capital, capitalist, and uh, neoliberalist uh, ideals. I think that that that's that's fascinating. I remember when I was I lived in Tampa, Florida, for for a while, and it was my first kind of uh, in the United States anyway. It was my first exposure to something like uh, like what you're describing. Uh, it was when Paula White was still pastor there mm -hmm. uh, at the Church Without Walls, and there was a mm -hmm. there was a a, a, a preacher uh, speaking. I mean, of T.D. Jakes was the the. The, the featured speaker of the night, and mm -hmm. something very similar to what you described in your book, or some of the experiences you describe in your book, happen. You know, and if you if you give this amount, mm -hmm. you know, people went into the. I I forgot the amount, but it was something like give four thousand dollars and get four hundred thousand dollars by this time, something like that. Mm -hmm. And people went, you know, forty people, forty thousand. It was like it, it worked on the numbers. I mean, it was very mm -hmm. creative very market-driven, the way in which it was advertised. Uh, but then again, in the same service, there were elements that were um, very akin or in continuity with, with, with some more eschatological elements that are more common or, or some more eschatological rewards that are common as well. As you mentioned, it follows a similar logic. Mm -hmm. uh, there are different kinds of prosperity themes. Some are financial, some are not, uh, that kind of run through the narrative, it seems mm -hmm. to me. Um, but one thing that connects to what you said, Tony, that I, that I think is incredibly interesting reading your book is what you what you mentioned that prosperity gospel sort of embodies American middle class values and notions. Mm -hmm. So I wonder in terms of the relationship between prosperity gospel and the different paths of assimilation of immigrants, if, if how that works within that structure, is that kind of a mediating structure? That, uh, that works in the adaptation of immigrants into American society at all? Or is that overreading that dynamic? Mm -hmm. Well, no, so, so, you know, assimilation, they say assimilation is what happens when you're trying to do something else. Very few immigrants actually come and say, I'm gonna give up my past. I'm gonna right. give up my language, I'm gonna adopt, right? I mean, and if you look at the history of America, right? Every immigrant community came, they had their own newspaper, their own restaurants, right? You know, the you know, they were, they, they created bubbles of their own culture and, and eventually over time, right, it, um, it, it faded, faded away. So as they tried to, 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 to make life, right, make sense of their lives in this country, parts of it fades away because this country was set up in a way that, that, uh, that, that expects a certain lifestyle, a certain behavior for you to, to live comfortably within it, right? That, like as an example, if if I was to go to Brazil, right, it, I, I can go right now without speaking any Portuguese. But if I could speak Portuguese, right, my you know my time there would be would be easier, right? I would have an easier time to 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 maneuver and get around and talk to people. But I could go right now and not speak Portuguese, and still be it would be fine, right? I you know I've I've been there without speaking Portuguese, and it was fine. It was fine. The same thing here, right? You can come here, you know, an, an immigrant can come here and never learn English, never, you know, 
never participate in the justice system, in the legal system, civic institutions, and, and never wanting to, to be part of this, right? And, and there are pockets of religious communities who, who try to do this, right? You know, we know the Amish, for example, right? The most, more extreme versions. But if you want to succeed, which is at the core of what prosperity gospel preaches, right? If you want to succeed, if you want to have your own business, if you want to own your own house and all, all these markers of the American dream, then you know it, it's easier to reach those, those goals if you speak English, if you have a bank account, if you work in, in a in a job that has a salary that that you know has a certain level of income. Um, the, and this, is, this goes beyond just uh, the, the practical day-to-days, right? It, it includes, you know, larger systems, right? We, we know right now the educational system in America was set up and created for two-parent households and uh, where children would have uh, adult help at home with schoolwork, right? And we are seeing now under pandemic conditions that... Uh, families like mine, right, where there are two college-educated parents and one of them is a, is a stay-at-home, in this case, a mom, right, that my children benefit more, right, than single-parent households, right? It's not better or worse, it's just the system was set up for two-parent households who, who have a certain level of education, who could help and keep track of kids. And so those who are, are not within that model that was, you know, set up are have a harder time surviving in this in these conditions right and so it's the same with the the ideal you know the american capitalist late capitalist system that we live in if you speak english if you if you do have a nuclear family two income households and all of these things you're more likely to survive and and historically those have been privileges uh, granted only to to white Protestant uh, middle-class families. That, that has been the model. And so, so a lot of times, uh, uh, and in, in my study, right, in, in, the, in the immigrants, Latino immigrants that I encounter, they, you know, none of them, none of them want to be Americans, right? And, and I asked that question, right? Do you consider yourself American, Americano? And all of them was no, because that's not how the, the, the word, you know, we don't use that, those terms, right? We don't use that term, but, 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 uh, they, but unbeknownst to, the, to them or unintentionally, they were, they, they were being uh, reshaped, they were transformed, you know, being transformed to believe in, at the core of it, you know, what I say, the, the, the myth of meritocracy, right? They, they, a lot of them come already believing that if you work hard and follow the rules, you can achieve anything you want. The reality that they have here shows that, you know, that's not the case. Even for those, you know, even for U.S. citizens who speak fluent English, that meritocracy is not, is not really the uh, path to, to real success as more and more people are finding out. As a lot of millennials, right? Most millennials are finding out that this, you know, meritocracy was not was more of a myth than a than a than a reality. Uh, but but what do you do in that case, right? When when you're faced with such hopelessness, right? Then mm. they believe in what I what I call in the book miraculous meritocracy, right? Mm. The prosperity gospel teaches them that if you work hard, you follow the rule, if you follow God's rule, right, live a moral life, 
your hard work is not going to get you your money, your success, but it will get you to God's attention, who will then give you a miracle mm. to get you where you are, right? And that's instead of just straight up meritocracy, you know, it teaches miraculous meritocracy. So that's very interesting. And, and, and I think that that touches on ways in which this belief may affect individuals during journey in material ways, right? So, so reading your book, I was reminded of something Peter Berger said when he was studying African Pentecostalism. And he said this, I have it written down here. Uh, the message from the preacher, you know, he went to a service in, mm -hmm. to a, in, in Africa. And then he, he, this is our, he, his reflections on, on that service. The message from the preacher had two major themes. And you touched on some of those here, Tony. And Berger continues. One, God does not want you to be poor. And two, you can do it. Mm -hmm. That is, you can do something about the circumstances in your life. Should one quarrel with this message? I'm inclined, inclined to think not. Right? Very interesting, very similar kind of mm -hmm. uh, disposition because um, many, many times one sees outsiders from the prosperity gospel movement just accusing negative aspects of, of prosperity gospel uh, prosperity gospel churches and mm -hmm. certainly there is much to be criticized um as that is in any kind of uh, you know group dynamic i suppose but uh, you you want to complexify some of that so it seems that there are elements in your research of a similar sensibility to this kind of uh you know a message that 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 Berger also found in in african churches mm -hmm. of disagreeing theologically while recognizing redeeming aspects of property gospel in terms of material changes in the life of parishioners. So um, you, you talk a little bit about the formula that fulfills itself or miraculous meritocracy or things of that sort. So I wonder if you could comment a little bit more uh, on, on that. I mean, how does this belief um, change the material lives and arrangements and, and, and outcomes mm -hmm. uh, that uh, of people who go to these churches in, in, in ways that can be conceptualized as positive. Yeah, and thank you so much for bringing up uh, Peter Berger because he, you know, he, he is my intellectual grandfather, right? Right, right, He's, I know that. He was, James Hunt, you know, Dr. James Hunter was my, my advisor, my mentor, my boss, you know, now, now he's my friend. But he, yeah, I studied with James Hunter and James Hunter studied with Peter Berger. Yeah. And, and James was actually with Peter Berger. They, that, was a, that was a project they did together. Hmm. Peter Berger and James, they were in South Africa together on that, right. uh, on that project. So they, they were in those, those churches. They traveled together for those church, churches uh, to, to study that. So yeah, so there's definitely, absolutely, right? I, I, you know, I, I, the, I, I absolutely followed follow in, in that tradition and, and, and in that, that, uh, that line of thought. I think so there's a chapter in the book on, on the family. And I think that's, that's where it's, it's most visible, right? And, and the, the complexity of it is what, what I often bring up, right? Because, you know, like you, I, I hear a lot. When people hear that I study prosperity gospel, right? Especially since I, I'm not in that world, most of the people I encounter automatically think is, is negative, right? They automatically think it's, you know, they, they want me to tell them some... Uh, some uh, s secret stories that I heard or some, you know, some fraud and scandal or something. And I said, you know, most of the churches I met are just a group of faithful people trying to, you know, live their lives. And they're, they're like most churches I've, I've been to, more active than most churches I've, I've been to. Story of a guy in there that he actually tried to, to kill himself. 
and uh, and it was through through this experience that he he had a transformation of uh, of understanding who he he was and and totally changed his life and and I I highlight that I, I dedicate a chapter to the family because that's 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 where it's, it's most visible right and and other scholars have found this throughout Latin America right that um, that there there is a softening of the the machismo that that exists in in our communities when they convert to to prosperity gospel so they on on a most practical level uh, they you can you you know you can be out you know drinking smoking womanizing um yeah all of those things are out so practically there's just less places where you will go waste you know spend your money and because it's a meritocratic faith right you are required if you want to be faithful you have to have a paying job more than one paying job and so you automatically you 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 are told as part of your spiritual practice right you have to you have to work hard you have to do your job well right because now you're not working for yourself you 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 know you 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 have this sense of vocation no matter what you're doing you know whether it's construction or sales or whatever you, you have to do it because god want, god is going to bless you through this now so there's a there's a divine element in your professional paid work and more importantly i think i think for for most of them there is there is a goal that where the the family is is not just about having a family raising your kids you know going through the day to days but but now they have they have this hope that you know e even though and a lot of the people I study were undocumented even though the the the, the future might be bleak they they that now, now they believe they they might be able to get their papers and stay in this country right God could perform that miracle. Uh, they might be able to buy that house if they're faithful and they they do the right things. They you know they they could have a, a very successful future for them and their children in this country mm. if they follow the rules. If their children you know grow up in the faith and, and are faithful, if they do do these things right. So so there are you know positive uh, transformations that 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 happens in in individuals that, 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 and again you know i i try not to put a, a a value on these transformations it's just that again this is a country where you know the the way you you increase your income is through pay labor the way that the, the you know family and children uh, are, are uh, this the, the the institutions around us that uh, that's the cares and supports for children's and family expect a two-parent household mm -hmm. with children right mm -hmm. and so when you fit this uh this uh, these models you are more likely to succeed right and clearly there you know i like most people i i have certain problems with the systems and you know institutions i don't yeah. think they're perfect but that's that's what we get right that's mm -hmm. what we got and through this faith they're learning how to fit themselves into this these systems that that is more likely to to help them help them succeed. I think I think that's that, that that's wonderful. And in your, and in your that that's wonderful to put it. And in your book, I mean, you 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 show some instances where people are indeed succeeding despite the obstacles, right? So it's not just a faith that looks at 
at, uh, at the, the, the hope that can come to their own lives if they believe and if they work. Of course, that's an element, and you mentioned that, uh, but it's also looking around them and seeing it happening in others, right? That so you look up and you look, you know, you know, you look vertically and horizontally, and mm -hmm. and those reinforce themselves in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. One of, one of my early, very very early motivations with this project, and and this is almost accidental. I was taking an ethnography class as a grad student, and we were told go somewhere you've never been before and take notes. To, you know, because we learned how to do ethnography and now we had to go and, you know, one of the papers we had to submit was go somewhere we've never been. And I've never been to a, to a Pentecostal church, never, you know, really been part of, I've seen some of it on TV, you know, I'm born and raised Presbyterian, so I've never been. So I walk in there and that was a Sunday, the guy said, if you bring $100, you get 10000 So I stuck around to see, you know, what was going to happen. And as I stuck around, I... I, I learned that these, the, the people here are a lot more sophisticated than I gave them credit for, right? Mm. Than, than most people I encounter that, that we give them credit for, right? They, they are a lot more, more sophisticated than, than just, you know, silly people or greedy people who just want money and, they, and they're, they're being fooled by this, uh, by this con man who's a preacher, right? I, mm. I encounter pastors who, who genuinely care and love the, the congregation. I, encounter people who, who, you know, truly, they truly believe this, right? They really believe that the more people they can get to believe this, the more, the better it will be for, for everybody, for the community. Mm -hmm. and, and I wanted to highlight that. I wanted to show, look, this is, you know, this, this is not some silly made up religion to, to scam people. And, and part of it, I wanted to say, hey, you all do it. We all, we all believe in this, you know, the, the fact that, if any of you ever ever ask, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? At the mm. core of every theodicy is some form, an expectation of a prosperity gospel. Mm. Right? Because if you didn't believe that your faith should bring you good things and mm. protect you from bad things, you wouldn't even ask that question. There will be no need for theodicies, right? Why, why do, why do, you know, why, how, how, how can a, a good God allow bad things to happen? Right. If 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 you believe God, you know. Again, this is my Presbyterian coming out. Right. If you believe God was sovereign and God can do whatever God wanted, then mm. <laughs> what's the matter? Who are you to ask? Right. Why why should things that I consider good or bad happen to people? Right. That that shouldn't be something we we get to ask. That's very interesting. It reminds me of of, uh, of a theologian who was my professor in seminary. Mm -hmm. who was talking about prosperity gospel in response to a student who was criticizing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said something very similar to what you kind of nodded at a couple of times. We all have one, mm -hmm. right? He said, we all have a prosperity gospel. It might be, it might be slightly different. Um, and, uh, but if deep inside, that is that, that sense. So it's a, I think that's a very interesting way of approaching proper prosperity gospel and also looking into our own expectations and, and yeah. goals and ambitions. Um, but on, on the on the other note, though, on another hand, on the other hand here, you talk, also talk about the role of fear and how fear seems to play an important part mm -hmm. in in in, the, in these churches and in maintaining um, the the appeal of prosperity gospel in in one way. Um, so, it's, but it's not this more traditional fear or hell. It seemed to me as much as it is in this particular case of these communities, fear of deportation. 
right? Or, or, or economic despair that is necessarily connected mm -hmm. to deportation. Also, as a matter of fact, there's a point in your book that you say that the chief motivator, you know, underlying religious adherence to these churches is actually fear. Most members are undocumented, you mentioned that. Um, so I wonder if you could talk about the role of fear, a little bit more about uh, how these churches are involved or not. Mm -hmm. Also in fear alleviation initiatives like hiring lawyers, advocating for immigration reform, community organizing, fundraising to help mm -hmm. undocumented members, things like that. I also studied uh, churches whose, uh, whose parishioners are in great part undocumented. Mm -hmm. um, that have tendencies towards, some of them anyway, towards prosperity gospel language uh, that dealt on fear in a way similar to what you do, but they also had uh, initiatives to, to kind of uh, give some sort of uh, welfare assistance to families that were, that were affected by immigration policies. So I wonder if you found that kind of uh, tension in these communities or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and th that's something that I, I think I, I, uh, I wanted to do a better job at, uh, at, at expressing the, 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 the giving, giving readers a perspective of the level of, uh, of, of not just fear, but even a sense of despair that so many of these uh, immigrants would be in if they didn't have prosperity gospel, right? That mm. I, I, um, I mean, you know, it's an academic book. I think you need a, you need a more poetic and beautiful writer than me to, to be able to do that. But the, the, the immigrants that, uh, that encounter this faith, right? And, and for the life of the average immigrant, and this was before the, the separation policy, right? This was before ICE raids. Or the level of ice rays that uh, that we have uh, we have now, right? This this immigration rays that that could happen. There, there were, you know, as I said in the book, there were some places that that had, you know, police checkpoints, but nothing nothing like it is now. But the idea that that you uh, you've left everything for the sake of a better future because you couldn't stay, right? Not, you know, see, my my family came as a choice. Right, we could have stayed in Argentina and probably been fine. We chose to immigrate. The the people I encounter, if they stay, they die. They were gonna die if they stay, right? Or they were gonna watch their children die if they had stayed. That was not. It, it wasn't a a choice for 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 many of them that I that that, that I encounter. And uh, and the 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 level of despair they had. In, that, that motivated them to leave their country and the, the, the level of, of fear and despair they have once they come in, it can be so, so paralyzing, right? That, uh, that it would make sense that they, they believe in prosperity gospel, right? It makes sense that they, 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 would, they would be attracted and, and cling on so hardly to a, a, a religion that teaches them that there's a higher being who, who loves them who wants them to have everything they want, and that who's going to who's going to perform miracles to give them what they want? And I, I think I think that that's why I say the uh, on one level fear drives them in, but then fears fear a very different you know I think very different type of fear keeps them in, in that 
there, there are a lot of uh, what we I would consider sacrifices. They don't, you know, people in it don't consider it a sacrifice. They just consider it, you know, either an investment, planting a seed. But, but there, there, there's so much, so much you have to do, so much of your life you have to rearrange and change to be part of this, uh, this faith that that I that I compare it to the. The, the gambler who, who puts the coins in the slot machines, right? And after you've put so much money in the slot machines, you, you have this, I mean, I don't, I don't place, I think I don't play slot <laughs> machines. So I think, you know, yeah, after you put so much money in it, you have that fear that if you walk away and somebody else comes and they put the money and they get the payout, all the work you did before was wasted, right? Mm. And so this is, you know, I say, I say it in there that, the, the prosperity gospel in the book, I say the, uh, the God of the prosperity gospel, God takes layaway, right? <laughs> the idea that you can, you know, you might not be able to, to, to give all of it right away to make all the sacrifices so that God will reward you. But in their faith, you can do little things. You can do little things that will build up mm-hmm. until the point that God deems is sufficient and, and gives you the the blessings right mm-hmm. and and so they the one of the fears is that you know if if i walk away now right what what would have been of all of this right and after having lived such a committed life because it's a very public faith right they they you know it's, it's not you know prosperity gospel and pentecostalism in general it's not a it is not like some of the more mainline faiths that were, you know, you you can be friends with somebody for 20 years and not realize they were Methodist or, you know, Presbyterians, mm-hmm. you know. But if you're a friend with the Pentecostal, you know, right? You know they're, they're Pentecostal one way or another, right? If you, if you have a coworker who's Pentecostal, he's going to come out, right? And so they, after having lived such a public life, after having had so many conversations, they're so invested in it right that there yeah there's that fear of what what would happen but you know the more realistic fear of well what else is out there right what else what else would i have if i didn't have this this religion that gave me this hope to to keep going and keep trying and you know what what help would my children have and this is uh, it, it, it can't it crystallized for me when actually when i was in sao paulo for uh for a conference, there was an international conference on prosperity gospel in Sao Paulo. And uh, I, I was there with, there was a pastor from South Africa. And he said, and you know, all of us, there were many scholars, pastors, but mostly those, those of us who study it. So all of us had this more critical perspective. Uh, there were no, none of us were part of the, the movement. And this pastor from, from South Africa said, you know, look, we can sit around and criticize this, right? We can talk about it from theological perspective, social perspectives. But he says he, he walks into, you know, single mother's homes where she, is, she has full-blown AIDS. She's got five kids under 10. The younger three are HIV positive. Her husband already died of AIDS. And nobody's coming to help. Nobody's going to help her. The oldest one will, will have to take care of the younger ones when... Uh, when she dies but she believes that god can heal her and she's asking him this pastor to pray for her healing and he says you know i can sit here and criticize it but what do you want me to tell this woman what am i supposed to tell this mother right that you know no this this faith you believe in is it's 
it's not really in the Bible. It's not really, you know, what's he gonna do, right? And and that that that's that that's part of what I want to communicate with uh, with. I think it's true of any religious system, right? People people are more sophisticated than we give them credit for, and they have their reason, they have their rationale to believe what they what they choose to believe, what what works for them. And, and it's the same in this case, right? That they, yeah, sure, fear is uh, is a great motivator, but but this also this faith also alleviates a lot of that um, of, of those fears and insecurities and and uncertainties. Well, thank you for saying that. And it's interesting that you mentioned healing because there's especially in conversations about global Pentecostalism, there is a growing sense uh, in some circles that that has become. Uh, you know, the kind of central feature of global Pentecostalism, more than speaking in tongues and in terms of prosperity churches, sometimes more than financial prosperity, healing is, uh, mm-hmm. in a sense, uh, you know, has this kind of uh, universal strength that, that, that connects to and broken, you know, the public health systems and, mm-hmm. of course, as well as, uh, as economic um, the disparities uh, and all of that. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about 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 that in terms of if you were looking at uh, you know the, the this prosperity gospel churches in terms of how much is that prosperity connected to healing and how much connected to uh, to financial success. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's connect in it's connected to healing in as much as it's connected to late modernity, right? So you know we are at an age when healing, physical healing, and science was one of the promises of modernity. That you know, with with the advances of modernity, we were going to be able to cure all diseases. We you know, scientists were going to come up with every all these things that was going to solve all these problems. If we can only educate, you know implement these modern ideas right we're going to solve all these problems and and one of the challenges of late modernity is that those uh, you know we're living under the pandemic right now right all of these uh these promises have been found wanting and and this this disillusionment with uh, with the promises of modernity drives people to to this you know what i consider more you know extreme forms of religion Right, that's why we have the rise of extremism around the, the world, right, during, during this time. And prosperity gospel is, is, is one of those, that the promise to heal, right? Because we, we have come as a global community who have believed in the promise of modernity, we have come to believe that sicknesses should be healed. That, uh, and it's beyond that, right? Now, now you know, as, as I say towards the end of the book, the more, the newer, the new generation of prosperity gospel is is not just physical healing but mental and psychological healing right so now we we not only have the 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 assumption the expectation that physical illness have had they are supposed to be healed but that anxiety and fear and all these other mental health issues they should not be part of us that we should always be happy right this is the the positive psychology movement right if you if you're not that happy right you you need to be taught you need to learn how to to be happy because that's the state that's the assumption that you need to to have and you know we, we should re- be reminded there, there was a time in human history not too not too long ago where 
most children were not expected to live beyond the ages the, the age of five, right? And uh, and that was expected. Society expected that. They, it mm -hmm. was expected that if you're sick, sometimes you will not make it. But modernity made us think that it should not. You know that 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 should not be accepted. That we should always have healing. When science couldn't deliver it, prosperity gospel rose at a time when gave that promise. Mm. And people flock to it to for this type of healing. It's it's a lot more prominent in other parts of uh, of the world because the the healthcare system, the the the, the, the you know the, the the privileges of modern medicine is not as widely available. The promise of modern medicine is is widely available, but the the reality of it is not. And so they they flock to this this faith for for healing and uh, you know the this, this is a u.s based uh, study so I, I don't have as as much data on, on other countries right but there are healing camps in you know you know you know about these these camps you know healing retreats and camps right. in brazil right, right? They, they mm -hmm. have any of this where the sole purpose right is you bring the sick and and they can be healed and, and sometimes they stay there for for weeks right for weeks or months or sometimes year they stay there waiting for their they're healing, and mm. in the U in the U.S., for most of the people I encounter, there were it, physical healing was not the primary reason they came, and even the testimonies I heard during these services, physical healing was never a top priority. Although you know everybody believed it, but the, the I I don't remember any. Um, anybody ever, you know, given a testimony that they were healed of cancer, they were healed of, you know, blindness or mm -hmm. miraculously healed of, uh, you know, whatever disease, which is more common in, you know, in, in our countries, in Brazil, Argentina, in, you know, right outside that that's, that's more common. I did not hear that in, in this, the U S based churches that it was most, uh, mostly the, it was financial prosperity. Right. And, mm. and even that it's, it's, is fading away more right now. Now it is, it is the, the the gospel of the the Joel Steins and the more you know therapeutic aspect mm -hmm. of uh, of the of the of healing that they they're looking for. Thank you. That that's very enlightening. And I thought that uh, that you know research Tony, there were many uh, kind of. Uh, Teases, especially for me, who kind of is, is concerned primarily kind of with uh, with immigrant Christianity, but also kind of have an eye, as I know you have, on, on, on world Christianity and global Pentecostalism uh, and things of that sort. There are many kind of uh, little directions that it's not, the, as you mentioned, is not the focus of this research, but, uh, you know, it's, it leaves the, the, the reader wanting wanting to hear a little more. Um, perhaps for future research projects, every good research does, right? It's kind of point directions for, yes. <laughs> for, well, my, for, my know, hope, for continuing. My, my hope with this project was always to do the next project overseas, mm -hmm. right? so to go to Latin America, especially now. So I wrote a little blog for UNC Press that, um, you know, I titled it, The Faithful Shall Not Be Deterred. And so right now, so when I started this, this study it was prosperity gospel was was already you know fairly fairly prominent in uh, in latin america but but not as prominent as today 
And what's, what's happening now is that the three countries where the, we had the most recent immigrants, right, Honduras, uh, Guatemala, and Salvador, they have the highest percentage of people who believe that if you have faith, God will make you rich and, and healthy. Mm. And they have, they, 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 they have believed this to the core. And this is one of the motivations for escaping their situations, right? So when their, their community becomes um, unlivable, when their life is threatened, they, will, they believe that God will protect them and God wants them to succeed. The God doesn't want them to stay in such a place where there's no future. And you know, they're watching their kids being recruited to gangs and, and dying before they reach 20, right? They, they, they believe that this is not part of God's plan for them. So they have to leave, they wanna go somewhere. And, and this theology, this prosperity gospel is exactly the reason why the, the very cruel and illegal uh, child separation policy of the Trump administration mm. did not work and will never work. Mm. Because even, even these, uh, these threats will not serve as a deterrent for people who believe that their faith can perform miracles. Mm. You can tell them that most kids will be separated, but it's not going to happen. They'll think it's not going to happen to me because I said my prayers. I pay my tithes. God is with me and God wants mm. me to do this. So other people might be turned around. Other people might have their kids taken away, but not me because, you know, I have God with me. And mm. yeah. That, no, that, that, that's, that's fascinating. In, uh, in, in one of the pieces I'm writing now, um, I, I actually mentioned some research that, that that starts to make correlation between religious affiliation and the decision to migrate, mm -hmm. right? Which is something that you that you um, that you that you nod at there in your comment is that mm -hmm. I mean that is uh, the in terms of 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 of, uh, of Brazilian immigrants who participate in religious communities anyway that is uh, a, a a a big element of, of, of adherence to Pentecostal forms of Christianity mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in the decision to migrate and, and to move borders. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's, it's very interesting that you mentioned that. Do you, do you, how, how do you see that correlation? I mean, you already mentioned the rationale of some people who, who does that, but in, in, in kind of broader hemispheric terms. Like I said towards the end of the book, and, and this is something I hope, I hope I, you know, more people, I encourage others to, to look at it, uh, is uh, prosperity gospel is the spiritual, is a new modern spiritualized version of, uh, of Western cultural imperialism. There used to be, right, many, many years ago. Well, not that many, a few decades ago, actually. When you went to a church in, South Korea, in Hong Kong, Singapore, Nigeria, you know, Buenos Aires, or, you know, in, in, in Brazil, you could sing hymns and you could be in a worship that was inherently unique to that country and that culture, right? And that, that's the history of Christianity, right? That, that's the, the, the miracle of the history of Christianity that it was so adaptable. Everywhere you went, every, everywhere you know the missionaries went from even from the early days, right when the, the disciples spread, everywhere he went, 
it, it adapted. The core beliefs stay the same, but it adapted to the culture, right? Of that uh, that it was in for most of the the history of of uh, of Christianity, right? Until you know the more recent actual imperialist uh, expansions of the 18th, 19th century. But now it's happening again through this prosperity gospel, right? And if you go to to worship services around the world, right? And Peter Berger and James Hunter both, both found this in South Africa that you could close your eyes in a church in South Africa and think that you are in some suburb of, uh, of New Jersey worshiping, right? The, the style of preaching, the type, you know, all the songs are from Hillsong, right? All mm. the songs are right. just, it's just in different languages, right? The way it looks, the stage, the style of the preacher, right? It's, it's now uniform. And with that, it translates into the lives that people live, mm. right? So if you have this, this uh, if people are being formed in this type of very American, you know, with all the thing, you know, the, the like I said, the white Protestant middle class uh, milieu of Christianity. If this is being taught in Central America, in, in you know Africa, Asia, what what is happening to the culture that those people are living in, right? What is happening in the families, right? Where where there used to be multi generational families that where family was most important. What happens when you have entire community, millions and millions of people there who now believe that the financial success is more important right, mm -hmm. than, uh, than family honor, right, when, you know, what happens to, to this, uh, this, this idea of, uh, of, of loyalty and uh, all these other, you know, for some, you know, I'm not saying all of it, it's, it, it's great, right, there are some, certain bad things that, that will go away too, but what happens to these communities? And that's, I, I think that that transformation is leading to part of that, that migration, right? Because they, they are ingrained with this dream of, uh, of a house and a car and 2.5 kids, you know, the picket fence, fences, mm. but they can never obtain that in their countries, right? Mm -hmm. They can never obtain, obtain that. And if, the, if you're given that dream and you can obtain it and you're told God will, We'll give it to you, right? And and this this perpetrates the inequalities that we see throughout we've seen throughout history, right? The people with the most resources, the most connections, will leave the countries where they could have made a difference, right? And go to you know the the brain drain that that the world saw that that uh, that helped build the the United States, right? Mm -hmm. We'll we'll see we'll, we we will continue to see that uh, that pattern and, and i think you know the, the the global spirit of prosperity gospel has has um, is connected to that um, to that movement i think that that's fascinating it touches on on ramifications for policy making it touches on the gospel market right and um, and in and in kind of hermeneutical dispositions because one can see i mean the bible is very much a text of migration in many ways mm -hmm. right so so finding biblical foundation in this in this communities for which the bible is so important and yes. um, we start with abraham you know go to the land that i will show you and any then themes of migration go on and on and on uh, and you do mention how migration connects to preaching and bible reading in the book 
um, that that's another of the many points are like, man, I wanted to hear more about that. Uh, so, so I wonder if you could, if you could talk a little bit about, about, about how the Bible is read in terms of its migration themes in these churches, whereas may not be at Joe Olsten's church or mm -hmm. Peter Jake's church, just because of the different experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and something, and, and the reason why the title is Their American Dream Right, is because none of these, none of none of the people I study, none of them want to be white. None of them want to be. They will never say they want to be. They, like I said, they ne will never say they want to be American. Right, they're proud Mexicans and Guatemalans, Salvadorians. Uh, they they try to pass on these traditions to their their children. They 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 reject a lot of the the, the more negative aspects of uh, of the of American culture. Right, so. But but in their own ways, right? They're redefining that that dream, that allows them to retain some of this um, the, the the their cultural uniqueness, and, and the immigration story, like I said, is, is central, right? That's that's one of the things that that unifies the, all these these churches that draws them together. It's not just that they're Spanish speaking; it's that everybody there has had this this connection, uh, this experience of of, of immigration. And no matter what country you immigrated from, we all immigrated to the same country and experienced the same, the same challenges. And the, 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 the preaching, of course, because they are all Pentecostal churches, right? The, the, the pastor, the charismatic leader's style dictates how each sermon is preached. But the the way that they they interpret the the Bible the 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 idea of of being in the world but not of the world right it comes into play the the the, the racialization of within these churches where some of them are are you know black Latinos and some of them are extremely white and some of them are you know brown Americans and and the the way they they distance themselves from those categories or or ignore those you know is more likely ignore those, those categories, but yet they 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 want to make space right make room for each person's national identity to uh, to flourish right so you know the book of Exodus you know is prominent right the the, the story of Moses of being you know be raising growing up in a different land and. And having to go to the the promised land, of course, for you know, for multiple reasons, it's it, it's uh, it, it's very very prominent. Uh, the you know even the the role of the 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 disciples as they as they spread, you know, Paul plays a prominent part as the as the missionaries to the the Gentiles, right? Because uh, the, the encounter with the other and those who are different, and and how to how to engage them, all of these things play play a central role. Another thing you you talk about, Tony, is the role of women, and um, you know how how women have like a central role um, in these services, in these churches, in these communities. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Um, it, it, seem, it seemed to me by, by what you wrote that a lot of these communities have uh, strong 
women leadership in ways that even uh, you know, traditional or some mainline churches may not have. And, mm -hmm. I, and I, that was fascinating to me. And I wondered if you could talk a little more about that. The role of women is, is part of the that paradox I talk about of, uh, of prosperity gospel, right? So they, they are patriarchal, right? They are patriarchal churches and, and system and the culture is, you know, is patriarchal. But the women are given more power and authority and are viewed with more power and authority. Some, some women, right? They, they're viewed and given more power and authority than a lot of more egalitarian uh, tendons, you know, theological leaning uh, churches that, that I'm familiar with, right? I, I've, I've always been in more, you know, egalitarian traditions uh, of, of, of Christianity. But because this faith tells everybody that you got, that God wants you to succeed and go as far as you can possibly dream, this applies to women too, right? So it's not, you know, it's, it's, not, the, it's not a promise made only to men. Uh, the, the structure of the family, of course, you know, it, it, it implicitly says that if you are married in a marriage between one man and one woman, you are more likely to be blessed, right? So in that, that, that way, it's, it's very gender. But in the role of the church, because most of them are Pentecostal, it's, it's fine for women to have, you know, very biblical and high titles, right? This list and of course, pastora, right? The pastor's wife is automatically pastora, the, you know, the female version of, of, of pastor. They, they preach, they, they're looked upon by the entire church for, for authority. And, you know, it's, I guess this is not unique just to, to these churches, right? We have first ladies in, in a lot of churches. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Kate Bowler just wrote a book on, uh, on the, the pastor's wife and this right. ladies uh, movement. But it's the same here, right? So, the, so, so there's that dichotomy that they, the men, male, men are still supposed to lead but women are allowed to, to have all this power and final say in things. In, in the family, men are supposed to make the decision, but in practice, it's really the women. And, in the, and because it's, a, it's such a performative religion, right? The, 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 the projection is always that it was the men who made the decision. But in practice, it was a woman, right? It was a, the, 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 in the case of family, the wife who, who, said, who, who decided what to do. And so in, in this church, the, the women are empowered and there's a, a comfort in, in empowering the women, uh, you know, I, I, I observe, because it was not threatening to the men, right? They knew that in, in their system, there was male headship and everybody agreed in male headship and the women agreed in male headship. And so you could give, all the power and authority to, to these women in these churches because it, it, it would not ultimately challenge the, the pastor. And all the pastors of the churches, I, the, you know, the, the top person, was, it was all men. It was all men, right? But, but in practice, on the day-to-day -day running of the church and the day-to-day -day decision, then the number of times that the women were, were up in, in the front were, were most in many churches exceeded the time that males were up in, in front of the church. And so, so it, it's one of those paradoxes, right? That, um, 
yeah, if you want to be empowered as a woman and have a community that will empower you, encourage you to teach and to preach and to be a missionary and to, to, to go to school, right? Because this applies to in professions too, right? They, they celebrate when they, they were, there was a woman, I don't remember if I included that in the book, but one, when this, uh, this, this woman got her license to, to be a real estate agent, right? She was gonna, I'll learn, she, she was already more educated than her husband and now she was gonna out earn him. But the church celebrated that and her husband was up there, right? You know, her husband worked a blue collar job, but, but he was up there celebrating. This, this was a blessing for their family. And they celebrated that in front of the whole church that this, this woman was, was, was gonna be, you know, was, was, was gonna take their family forward and bring all these blessings to the family. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I try to think a lot, right? What, what happened? What, what do, you know, as, as, a, as a father now, I, I, I always think, well, what, what, you know, what are the kids seeing? How are kids being formed in these churches? And I have to say, it, if, you, if you're a young girl and you grow up in one of these churches, right, you, you are going to have the, the support, even though it's a patriarchal system and, and they believe in patriarchy, that you are going to have people who are going to encourage you and, and support you. If you, if you want to run for president, they will support you, right? Because mm-hmm. that's that that's how they're wired that they you know god wants you to go as far as possible that's interesting that you they you, that you pointed out also to 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 second generations i wonder if these churches or how these churches are dealing with 1.5 and and, and second generation i noticed in the churches i write on the, the mostly brazilians at least the leaders are all brazilians that there is kind of this internal debate um, you know, some churches want their churches to be mechanisms of maintenance of Brazilian culture. Mm-hmm. Other churches want to transition into English and they see two, one or two generations ahead of them, Portuguese being practically gone from yeah. their daily service. And, and then that, of course, uh, dialogues directly with migration patterns and, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and migrant sustainability anyway. Um, I wonder if you found any of that and how these churches are, are, are dealing or not with imagining how they're going to look like when their, their kids lead their churches. None of the churches I study dealt, dealt with this, right? And, and my, my personal experience in, in Taiwanese American churches is exactly what you said, right? I, I was a pastor of an English congregation in, in a Taiwanese church where as soon as they went to college, they, they were, the majority were never coming back, right? They're never mm. coming back. But after they went to college, and, and most Asian churches, right? My, my friends in, in Korean American churches, right? They, they, they might grow up in Korean speaking churches with, with an English congregation, but as soon as they went to, to college, they were gone forever, right? So there were no, there was never an English speaking congregation. It was always a youth group, right? And, and this was true for most of the, um, for most of the churches I studied because it was all, all Spanish speaking, none of them were translating their services in English and they had no, you know, no, no desire. They were never, there was never a conversation to have to translate the services in, uh, in Spanish. They, they, and it's partly because there is enough immigration to maintain these, these churches, whereas some of the other the Asian churches, right, the, the boom in immigration was in the 80s and 90s. Right. And then after the 2000, there were just no, no new people. So they were struggling to, they were seeing their churches decline and many are 
a lot of them are now now closed. That's not the case. For, you know, the, the Spanish speaking churches, Latino churches are still growing. There's still so many immigrants that are coming and still filling them. So I, I don't think they've, they've reached that uh, that stage of what uh, what what will happen in, with the second and third. I think the there is the research. You know, the the Pew Pew research on on Pentecostals. And Latinos here, it does show that there is a decline in religiosity and spe specifically in prosperity gospel by the second and third generation, right? So the, the second and third generation Latinos are, are less religious and less likely to, to believe in, in prosperity gospel because they're, you know, they're just, they're just different, different needs. So mm. yeah, that's, that's part of what the, the next phase will be, right? What, what will be the future of, uh, of the, the Latino church in America. Mm. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Thank you very much, Tony. Thank you, thank you for this conversation. I mean, I've learned a lot from you today. Well, let me ask you what's next for you. So what, what can we be expecting in terms of your of your research? There's so many directions I could imagine this mm -hmm. book, you know, the next book going. I wonder which one you're taking. Uh, so, like most people, uh, funding dictates what <laughs> <laughs> what the kind of research you you do. Mm. So, a few years ago, so right now I'm working on a on a manuscript on multiracial, uh, multi multiracial intentional multiracial churches in cities that experience racial tensions throughout America. Hmm. Because a few years ago, I got this grant from the Louisville Institute to okay. study uh, intentional multiracial churches in throughout the U.S. that 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 were there way before there was uh, the the police shootings, and they were there during and then after. So I went in in twenty seventeen, seven yeah, twenty seventeen. I went. That summer, I, I traveled. I was in St. Louis, Chicago, Dallas, um, uh, what Minneapolis, here in New York, uh, Charleston. Right? I talked to you know, somebody whose cousin was killed in Manuel, other Manuel, and and I was trying to understand how how these multiracial places were uh, were thinking and and working through this uh, the. The racial tension that arose out of police uh, police shootings, and so that that's what I'm working on now. Uh, I have a, a collaboration with the, the La Universidad Católica de, de Argentina. We we got a, a Templeton World Charity Fund to to study communities in uh, and and schools, right? How how school shapes childrens, and so. That's uh, we were supposed to start this year, but then you know the pandemic, all the schools were shut down. We couldn't do that, so we are hoping that next year we're going to do that. And I want to do that, use that as a as an opportunity to go into the the, the villas, the favelas, mm. the Argentinian villas, to to understand because uh, prosperity gospel is, is flourishing in those those places as well. Yeah, and not just Protestant, right? Catholic prosperity gospel is mm -hmm. flourishing in those those places. Mm -hmm. So if, if this goes through, I, I'm fascinated. One just to just to see how life is in in these places, right? This, you know, I I I I've went around the borders of these places. I've uh, of these vicious. I've been to one 
with uh, with this priest that took us in there to to see some things but but i've never had the chance to to study this this you know for for those who are not from from latin america these are essentially settlements that people come and they just build you know brick structures and they just live in there and some of them are five floors up they're brilliant architects because those things, you know, I, if there's a, ever an earthquake, I think in Brazil as well, right? <laughs> if we ever get an earthquake in Latin America, right. it's going to be a disaster because they, they just build these things, structures. All of them have a satellite dish on top and, and they, 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 they bring electricity from whatever, you know, different places. It's an amazing, it's, it's, it's its own ecosystem. It's right? a very creative they environment. Businesses, their own supermarkets, they... And, and all of it is is not on paper and so I, I you know none of it none of it is is technically on, on the government's paper it's just people who came and decided to do this and so yeah I'm, I'm fascinated by 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 these communities right when 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 you when you get to you know as a sociologist when you get together and you can make your own rules and create your own literally create your own little city in some of these places they, there are ten thousand people living in there right they, they have their own rules policing and who's who rules who does what and mm -hmm. i i just if there's a way i can get in there i'm just fascinated to do an ethnography right. of, um, it, it, it does like that and, and see how what what role does religion play right when when you, when you don't have to abide by the by the rules of the the government right how what what does worship look yeah. like no, that's a, that 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 is fascinating and in 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 the in, in the favelas in, in rio in rio de janeiro for example i mean you see a lot of the drug lords who are you know who, who have come out as pentecostals for example right how do you how do you navigate those and of course roman catholicism and 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 uh, charismatic forms in prosperity gospel forms of that that started popping out too. So it's fascinating. Thank you, Tony. We're excited to see what 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 comes out for all these research projects that you that you've imagined. So I appreciate your time, brother. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for all those who are listening. And yeah, thank you for this opportunity. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.